morning, everybody. So we're reading from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 24, uh, page 954 in the Church Bibles. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the Church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy of Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Susie. Uh, I wonder, have you ever been that person laughing out loud in a movie theatre when everyone else was silent? Yeah, I've been that guy. (laughs) Uh, It's not always, it's not often only me. There's always one though, isn't there? There's always one who laughs out loud when others are quiet. There's always one who seems to find joy in strange places and we're all left curious as to what they might possibly be laughing at. And when I read this portion of Paul's letter here, page 954 in your Bibles, Colossians 1 and following, when I read this, I reckon that Paul was one of those people. (laughs) He was one of those guys, one of those who found joy in the strangest of places. I mean, check it out there in the passage. One twenty four. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and two verse five. How it ends. Delight to see how disciplined and firm your faith in Christ is. Curious, isn't it? Is Paul off his chops? I mean, what kind of person rejoices in their suffering? What kind of person rejoices in the suffering on behalf of others that they didn't even, you know? And who delights in hearing of disciplined and firm faith? Curiouser and curiouser. Who is this guy? Who is this guy and why does he find joy in strange things? And why did God make sure his letters are here in the Bible? Because it's not just his letter to the Colossians, is it? In fact, you know, just under half of the New Testament features Paul as the main signpost pointing people to Christ. And we're told here that it's by the strength of Christ that Paul wrote like this, so that Christians like us would become fully mature in Christ. 
in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, that's what Christ wants for his church and it's Christ who supplied Paul to move us toward it. So we probably should get curious as to why he rejoices and, and, and how that affects us. I mean, because we are a Christian church is what we call ourselves. But is maturity in Christ what we want for ourselves? Is, is maturity in Christ what we, we want to aim at and want to rejoice in when we find it? Is, is maturity in Christ the kind of things we want for those we love, for the young ones we've just sent off to kids' church and creche, for the ones on camp? Do, is that what we want for those beyond us? Well, to help us make an informed choice on this and work out whether we're going to go that way or other ways, well, let's get curious about Paul's strange joy here, these joy in strange places, and let's ask God's help with this as we do. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for raising up Paul to point us to Christ and then to work on us, to mature us in Christ through his letters. And as we consider this letter now, by your word and spirit, would you... Would you work on us? Would you help us to understand and, and to align or realign ourselves with you and what you're aiming at for us and for others? Would you please help us understand it so that we too can take our place in Christ's mission continuing in this part of the world? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, radio. Uh, Keep that passage open for you, page 954. You've got the outline there as well. Uh, before we unpack, though, what Paul is actually aiming at, let's come to grips first with why he personally would even care about these things, because that matters, doesn't it? I mean, earlier in this book of Colossians, we've seen that he calls himself, uh, there in 1 verse 1, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And in last week's passage, he called himself a servant of the gospel. And in our passage, he now says he's a servant of the church with a special commission from God. And that he suffers for and strives for and strenuously contends for and serves and delights in the people Christ has died for. But hang on, that's a massive turnaround for this guy and what he's doing. See, when we dig back into, well, before that happened, before he started thinking this way, we find in the book of Acts that Paul's original name was Saul. And like his Old Testament namesake, he had originally been a deadly opponent of the things of God. Uh, Saul had been the number one prosecutor and persecutor of the early church after Jesus rose from the dead and that he had carried special authority from the Jewish high priest to carry out any extreme action necessary to silence Christians and churches at that time. And this all changed, of course, when uh, he met the risen Jesus on the road outside of Damascus as he was heading into Damascus on one of his missions to persecute the Christians who lived there. Now, there's all kinds of things that are written about this. It gets written out extensively in the book of Acts and I recommend you have a good dig into it from chapter 9 and following. Um, most important for us today to pick up on so that we can get a grasp on our passage uh, are two things that happened there, uh, two things that are said there, uh, something that Jesus himself says to Paul and something that Jesus says to Ananias about Paul. Check it out. First one. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. This is amazing and important for so many different reasons, but the one I hope you'll notice is the intimate connection Jesus has with anyone who follows him. Saul thought he was persecuting individual people or or groups of people who claimed to follow Jesus, but not so, for Jesus is intrinsically and is inviolably linked with anyone who follows him. Attack a Christian and it's actually Christ himself whom we're attacking. It's as we heard last week, verse 18, Colossians chapter 1. Christ is the head of the church that is his body. They cannot be separated. They're not separable. So when Saul became Paul who now loved Christ with all his heart and soul and mind and strength, it meant that he also changed from persecuting Christians and churches to proactively now loving the body of Christ just as Christ himself loves and serves his body. And didn't we hear that emotion and devotion dripping from every sentence as Susie just read it out for us there? This is the difference that loving Christ makes. To proactively love Christ means that we do then start proactively loving everything of Christ, his body as well. And of course, because they're inseparable, Christ and his people. Now that understanding and that passionate conviction for Paul that we're hearing of here in Colossians, well, that began for Paul on the road outside of Damascus. Now, once he got off the road and he was safely inside the city, um, waiting on Straight Street for Christ to tell him what he must do, well, Jesus now spoke to another guy in a vision, again, this time called Ananias, and he sent him to be the one to heal Saul's vision. Ananias, though, was terrified of this and he protested vehemently, this must be a mistake for surely, I mean, surely a disabled persecutor was better than a healed one, wasn't it? I mean, obviously. I mean, isn't respite and rescue from persecution the best possible outcome for every Christian? So he thought. Shouldn't we be celebrating a persecutor's demise? So he thought. But it seems not, at least not before Jesus' return anyway. Check out what Jesus said to Ananias, verse 2015. Go, he's saying to Ananias, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And there it is. As the church's servant by the commission God gave him, this is why Paul can rejoice in personal suffering for the body of Christ's benefit. Uh, this is why he would find delight to then discover how firm and disciplined the Colossians' faith in Christ has become. This, this is the reason behind Paul's joy in strange places. And so we see it's not so strange at all. For the church body growing in Christ, oh, He come to learn that it's worth every wound, every affliction, every struggle and striving that comes along with it. And just as Christ's people were purchased through the sufferings of Christ on their behalf, so the maturing of Christ's people also occurs through the suffering of their leaders on their behalf. 
Uh, yes, there was particular suffering to Paul's an apostle. We read about that in the New Testament. Yet Christians also continually fill up in their flesh for those they serve. We've found this every century, ever since, every year, all around the world. Suffering, well, just like a mother suffers to birth and raise a child. Because it is that sharp, deep and constant, drawn-out emotional angst of mothering a child from conception to birth to adulthood to death that best illustrates the sacrifices and angst involved in raising Christians to maturity within the church family. They come to new birth, how do they grow? The sacrifice of someone else caring, raising. Oh yes, there's moments of amazing joy as there is progress against all odds. Uh, Joy in all kinds of strange places along the way. But make no mistake, no Christian matures in Christ without the sacrificial giving of those who serve them. And if you want an example, think right now of square one camp. All those kids are there, it's been very wet. We've sent a bunch of leaders and junior leaders there, they're suffering right now. (laughs) Kids are having a great time, it's rain, I'm getting wet, whatever. Uh, Those leaders... They've paid to be there. They've given their time and they've sacrificed to be there. That's what we're talking about here. As it was for Christ, so it was for Paul, so it is for us when this is our intention. When we, when we take up our cross to follow Jesus, when we follow Paul as he follows Christ, yes, Christ's mission continues and joy will come, but that joy is always found in strange places because Christ's mission amongst his people always occurs through suffering. So in our passage, that's that's how Paul's commission works. And that's how Christ's mission continues through his apostles and then through us who follow them in every generation. And so now we've got to pause and check something. Here's Here's the real question for us. Is what Paul is aiming at for them, is it actually worth receiving? Do we actually want it? I mean, what would happen if the Colossians let Paul persuade them to follow Christ like he's saying? And not just them, 2 verse 1, he's written not just to them, but for everyone who hasn't met him yet, well, that also now counts us, doesn't it? So what will happen to us, what will happen in us if we let Paul serve us here with God's word? That's no idle question, is it? Because here we sit in the northern Illawarra in 21st century, it's beautiful here, it's worth knowing, we need to know if it's worth it because, well, God's voice is just one amongst many that we have access to, to choose from. And maturing in Christ, that's just one option open to us amongst so many and we are people who can choose. We have a you know, sufficient uh, wealth and peace and security and health and uh, information and education and skill and opportunity and all kinds of freedoms that supply to us an untold number of options for how we might devote ourselves, how we might grow ourselves up, how we might mature ourselves, what we might aim for before we die, what we, what we help our kids to aim for when they grow up and what are we going to become? 
We've been assured by our culture that there isn't a star in heaven that we can't reach if we're trying, if we set our minds to it. So as as Paul presents the word of God here in all its fullness, is what Paul is aiming at in us, is it worth us receiving it? Is it worth us receiving it? Is it worth us helping others to receive it? Well, the only way to work that out is to actually know what it is. <laughs> and that's what this passage lays out for us. So let's, let's check it. What's he aiming at? Verse 26, 8 there in front of us. In those verses, Paul tells us that he aims for us Gentiles all around the world to know the long-hidden mystery of God that was first revealed to the Jewish Christians in the first century. That mystery that's now revealed, that now revealed mystery of God is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's that's pretty good. (laughs) It's pretty good. It's good because if that's true, then there's no more hunting and scraping and striving for glory in this world and trying to grab hold of immortality in the next we can dispense with that search. If Paul's gospel is true, we won't need to strive any longer for immortal glory or even temporary glory because it's now come near as within our grasp in Christ. According to Paul, we, we just don't need to look anywhere else for glory. We don't need to invent it or maintain it or defend it for ourselves. For Christ in you is the hope of glory. And that's why, of course, Paul keeps just pointing us to Christ again and again and again. Verse 28, he says, He, Christ, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And he does that because if Christ in you is the hope of glory, then growth in Christ is what every Christian continually needs. Just, just like a child needs to grow and mature and into its skin and its teeth and its talents and identity and place and, and, and needs tender love and care and information and help and admonishment to do so, well, so too we Christians mature and we need, need all kinds of help so that we don't get left behind in that tragic immaturity. No good in a child, no good in a Christian. That's a devastating outcome. And and recognising that we are all works in progress, well, Paul continues striving by proclaiming, admonishing and teaching with all the wisdom he has, with all Christ's strength in him so that every Christian can be presented fully mature in Christ. That's not bad. If that's what's going to be the outcome for each of us individually, that's pretty good especially for those of us who love Jesus already. And if you're thinking, I'm not a Christian, I'm just here poking around seeing what you guys do, that, that's good you're here. Now you know what Christ has in store for you if you want to continue walking with him. That's, that's what he's about. But it's not just for us individually, is it? Did you notice that he's not writing about this as a solo journey? It's not a solo journey. And I'm going to say, I love this bit. I love this bit because at the end of the day, even the best solo warrior needs someone to applaud them, doesn't don't they? Uh, someone to come home to, someone to you know train alongside them and encourage them to greater things. 
And this is precisely what God has given us in the church all together, his body gathered together. Because as the body of Christ, for which Christ is the head, as, as the growing maturity of each Christian within the body, well, that leads to the flourishing of the entire body, just as the opposite is also true. An immature part of the physical body is a problem for the whole body, well, well so also. But when we're growing and maturing in Christ together, wow, the benefit's enormous. Everyone benefits. And more glory goes to Christ that we all get to participate in because Christ is the head and we are his body. And that, that's Paul's goal. That's his collective goal. Notice the plurals as he continues here to verse 2. So my goal is that they, they all together, they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not just individuals, this is us together. And, and so together the question becomes, do we want to be encouraged in heart together? Do we want to be united in love together? Do, do we want all the full riches of complete understanding that come from being encouraged in heart and united in love? Do we, do we want that for each other? We want to know the mystery of God, uh, the treasures all hidden of wisdom and knowledge in Christ together. Well, those things come as we, when we allow Paul to teach and admonish us in Christ, as he says he's attempting here with this letter. And he's still not done because growing in Christ has one more amazing effect that can't be overrated. You see, when God's people are disciplined and firm in their faith in Christ together, then we have a sure and ready defence against deception, against false teaching. There in verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Because that's how they come, isn't it? It's so sneaky. I mean, no one ever successfully deceives a Christian by a front-on assault. No, 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 no. It comes instead through fine-sounding arguments that seek to deviate us from Christ, you know, little by little by little, quietly adding things to our belief in him, little by little, adding good things. They're good things, mind you, things that we would approve of, reasonable-sounding additions, but they are additions all the same. Until at last we discover it's no longer Christ, we're serving, no longer Christ, we're believing in, but some cross-breed aberration of Christian faith that no longer actually hopes in Christ, but has its hope elsewhere. Now, we'll think more about that in next week's passage because Paul will continue in that. But suffice now to know, as he introduces it, that mature Christians are defended from deception by the fact that they are growing in maturity day by day, and particularly when we do it together. Well, they're the things that Paul's aiming at. That's what he's aiming at for them, and that's what he's aiming at for all those he hasn't met, like us in this church. There's no secret mysteries that only some elite Christians can attain. There's no hidden agendas or stages along the way, just constantly pursuing that long, slow maturity of Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
And so that's why Paul writes here in verse 5 that he delights when he hears from Epaphras who's speaking to him about the Colossians that yes, indeed, the Colossians are disciplined and firm in their faith in Christ. But it's not just them, is it? I mean, that's the same delight that we find in one another here, isn't it, at Bulleye Anglican Church? we, We celebrated a bunch of this last week as we started to think about what has God been doing? And I've got to say, I know for me that I delight, there's real delight when I hear reports of what's going on amongst our church family here and abroad. So our our church missionaries who we send on the field, those reports they send us and read them and notice how firm their faith in Christ is and how it keeps strengthening. And delight again, I've so much delight when I hear the evidence of grace from our parish councillors. It's reported there in the monthly minutes so everyone can share and be amazed at this thing as we hear about the maturing in Christ of people in our church family and our growth group leaders talk about this, our staff talk about this weekly, we hear it from our SRE teachers and it's one by one, this one and that one in our church family maturing in Christ. So much to delight in and be thankful for. These are the aims of Paul. These are the kind of things that we actually find are happening amongst us, but are they good things we want to keep aiming for together? I reckon so. Certainly to this point, at least recently, the the fact that our own church here just continues to grow in number and that we're striving to do things like increase our youth staff so we can better raise the next generation uh, to mature in him, that we want to sacrificially give to make that possible, well, that tells me that, yeah, well, Christ's mission here continues and there is firm and disciplined faith in Christ that counts the cost, things that we can, well, already, already begin to delight in. And and I guess that's the evidence of why these things Paul's aiming at are good and why we do celebrate. Because it is a great set of aims and outcomes, isn't it, for anyone to mature in Christ and to do it amongst a group of people together. And we should be excited by that. But there should also be a bit of a a solemnness to it, a seriousness to it. Before we get overexcited, we need to reckon with what also happens when we fully align ourselves with Christ. Because when we do, there's also opposition. There's also struggle. There's a a, a worldly cost to be paid for anyone who matures in Christ. We must be clear-eyed and open-eyed about this. And particularly if we want to pursue maturity in Christ for others, in others. Now, some of these things we've already touched on. You know, in terms of lifestyle, there's the obvious fact of choosing growth in Christ over gross other things, growth in other things. Well, well that's going to change how we spend our, our time, our energy, how we're going to spend our finances. A yes to maturity in Christ is a no to pursuing maturity and growth in something else. And even more than that, the moment we start trying to do it for others and with others and in others, well, there's that mother-like suffering that goes with seeking to present others mature in Christ. And above that again, above that again, we need to remember what happened to Jesus. Remember, crucified for pursuing hope of glory for others in others. 
And remember where Paul was when he wrote this letter to the Colossians, in prison for teaching about Christ in you, the hope of glory. And their experience in the first century isn't where persecution ended for those who seek to mature in Christ and to help others do the same. Friends, today is the 5th of November, you already know that. But did you also know that this also just happens to be the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church? Open Doors International keeps an annual ranking of the 50 countries where Christians face the most extreme persecution for following Jesus. They do count the other ones as well and they measure and people you know, countries move up and down the scale year by year. Now, their watch list of those 50 countries at the moment, uh, the highest 50, uh, their watch list currently accounts for 312 million Christians who face very high or extreme levels of persecution right now in 2023. That's pretty hard to imagine as we sit here. We're one of those white countries there that just doesn't get any colour on it. But for their faith in Christ in 2022, 5,621 Christians were killed. 2,110 churches were attacked. 4,542 Christians were newly arrested and detained. Today in Asia, two in five Christians are actively persecuted. In Africa, it's one in five. Put that together and add all the countries of the world together, still, still worldwide, it's one in seven Christians who will be actively persecuted for their faith this year. Now, it, blessfully, thankfully, it's not always the outright hostility of state-sponsored persecution like it is in the top 50. But it's still here, isn't it? We know this, one in seven. You know it. This, this is... See, way before it gets to the, to the really serious state-sponsored point, way before that happens, it's, it's that standard nasty undercurrent bullying and social isolation that happens uh, to Christian students in our high schools in the northern Illawarra, happening right now. Talk to our scripture teachers who are in there from the NISB board. Oh, the stories. Whenever they try and stand out for Jesus... And it's not just them. I mean, talk also to the parents at the primary school gate and the social isolation that occurs when they find out you're a Christian. And in our workplaces, talk to each other about this. Sporting groups, online forums, in your street and domestically in some of our homes. Yes, within our church family. Those of us who are the only Christian in our family privately, continually, regularly enduring resentment for following Jesus. As, as countless obstacles are quietly and sometimes not so quietly placed in the way of the maturing in Christ. Now in each of these cases, in each of these cases, they're all to be lamented. There's so many. And we might ask, why doesn't God intervene and stop that persecution from happening? Why doesn't he? But as, as we know with Ananias and Saul in Damascus, Jesus has more going on than just the relief and the rescue that we seek. 
He's got more going on, so much more. And, and it's, it's certainly right to pray for persecution to cease. And it's right to pray for their rescue and for their relief. But when we give those mature Christians, those mature persecuted churches the opportunity to tell us what they actually want us to pray for, this is what they tell us. Pray for strength, pray for provision and pray for the gospel to advance. That's what they ask us to pray. Strength to endure the pain and the pressure of persecution. Strength to endure so that they personally don't give up on Christ. Provision for facing the immediate needs they have in in poverty and loneliness and isolation that comes from being in those situations and that also the gospel would advance through their persecution, that they would manage to remain bold and wise in sharing their faith and that despite the challenges, more people would come to Christ because of their witness, even in the face of persecution. When I hear those prayer points from the persecuted church, when I receive prayer points from members of our church family in these circumstances, I realise their maturity in Christ far exceeds my own. Far exceeds. And what a delight it always is to hear how disciplined and firm their faith in Christ is in those settings. Like Paul himself, these, these are mature Christians who find joy in the strangest of places. And as much as I fear that kind of persecution for any one of us as we mature in Christ, as much as I fear that, whenever I actually remember to love the church here, like Paul loved the Colossians there, whenever I long and to see Christ's mission continue in us here, then I have to realise that this is the strange joy, the joy in strange places that I need to pray for and long for us all. We need God's help, don't we? Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, to know Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge is the greatest. To know the hope of glory in him There is no greater joy and we thank you for the way that transforms us and as we pursue him and as we mature in him, as we help others mature in him, oh, will you help us to endure, to continually sacrificially care, to fill up in our bodies, in our flesh, those sufferings, in the knowledge of what the outcome is for those whom we're helping to mature, for those who would come to Christ if only we would speak as Ananias did for Paul. Oh, help us, Lord, and send your son Jesus soon, the hope of glory we long to see it here on the last day and strengthen us while we wait, we pray. Amen.